0: The following is brought to you by the Starfleet Podcast Network, SPN, The Spin. They keep talking about snowstorms coming in and it's one of those things. It's like, uh, I'm not ready for it. Every year it's the same thing because people are going to drive stupid like they do. And it's just going to be slow on the roadways. This is Big J with Beyond Trek Podcast. I'm here with my guest, Chris Goodmakers. And I see here on your Facebook profile that you are a power contributor with Screen Rant. Yeah, yeah. I'm a a regular video producer
1: uh, with the channel Screen Rant. Uh, You'll see my videos uploaded daily on ScreenRant.com plus some uh, past videos I've done
0: on their main channel. So how long have you been doing this with Screen Rant?
1: Uh, I've worked for them for about, uh, oh, almost three years now, two to three years. Uh, I started when I was fresh out of college and couldn't really find a job anywhere else and they were nice enough to give me work and then uh, I found, you know, quite a bit of success there. And uh, yeah, I've been enjoying it more or less for the last couple of years and providing them with a lot of coverage on stuff ranging from Star Trek, you know, uh, Star Trek videos, um onto the latest series right now i'm covering reacher as it's coming out which has been a lot of fun Uh, i've been enjoying that season pretty much um
0: and you know i'm always ready to do a godzilla video too i love the big lizard you mentioned reacher i just got finished watching season two the other day and that show is just unbelievable Mm -hmm. i really like reacher uh that guy. to tell you what if reacher is walking up to you just apologize you don't yeah. know what for, just say I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it does the it does the sort of male power fantasy thing really well in the sense that uh, you know, Alan Rich is very likable as Jack Reacher um, and it's sort of just like, I just love seeing people try to kill Reacher and then he just kills him right back and
0: then he's like, you know, you send more guys for me to kill. Well, and I mean, look at how strong the guy is. It's, it's almost, it's like ungodly. Yeah, You know, he's just... He could go four on one, five on one, easy, no problem. Yeah. That guy is a beast. And there's a lot of a lot of talk. Well, it's fans really want this to happen, but I really think that he should be Batman in the upcoming Batman: Brave and the Bold for this new. Uh, DC, is it DCEU or DCU? The one that they're- The
1: DCU now, the whole James Gunn thing. He's abandoning the
0: DCEU, we're dropping the E, it's just DCU. DCU. It's simpler now. Yeah, so I think that he should play Batman. I mean, my God. (laughs) i
1: can see it he has uh he not only like if you if you're familiar at all with his sort of past career he's had a lot of bit parts here and there his biggest part before jack reacher was a show called blue mountain state where he was uh the jock football captain guy mm-hmm. and it was a very comedic role he was very funny um he's also had like a part on brooklyn 99 where there was a joke where he played uh past version of scully the really uh slovenly guy from the modern times uh-huh. so like they cut back and, you know, like he's this big beefcake, and you're like, "What happened?" <laughs> um, yeah, he's he's really good. I think he has a lot of charisma, and he's very funny. And I could see him playing Batman. And certainly, you know, it would be nice to see a Batman who was maybe a little bit lighter
0: this time around. I think it would too. Uh, you also mentioned recently Godzilla. Have you seen Godzilla minus one? I have not.
1: Oh yeah, I was. Uh, I absolutely got a got a ticket to the theater as soon as it came, uh, came out locally. And, uh, I think it was probably the best film I've seen in 2023. Certainly the most like rousing and impactful film I've seen in 2023.
0: Really? I've heard nothing but good things about it. And it's like, wow, I really need to get on the ball and see this. Oh, it's very good. It's um well I took my
1: I took my my girlfriend and uh, writing partner Tamara with me and she had never really seen a Godzilla film. I think the only thing she'd really seen was the 2014 one and then I showed her Godzilla versus Kong when it came out, mm-hmm. so, like the American ones. I was like, "No, you got to see you got to see the Japanese ones. That's the ones I always get excited for." I was super excited for Shin Godzilla. And walking out of the theater, she looks at me and says, "Okay, I feel like I have a problem now because I understand why you love Godzilla so much, but I feel like I've now seen the best Godzilla and anything you could show me is instantly gonna be like a step down, either in special effects or in story or in sort of emotional core or themes or ideas. You messed so, up, you set like, the bar yeah, too high. It's kind of a hard place to start now as we've started with the best one and yeah, or at <laughs> least the certainly the most like
0: modern and impactful one, you know? Right, do you have a, favorite topic that you like doing for screen rant whether it be star trek or dc any other property is there one that you just have a preference over
1: yeah yeah um i it it really depends on like sort of how i approach it um i always love star trek topics so anytime i see those come up or or have an idea to pitch for one um you know i'm always very excited about it i'm very excited to talk about um And they let me like these days are letting me talk a lot about a sort of the minutia uh, of the production history of Star Trek, which is really fun, Um, you know, talking about uh, various actors and actresses that have taken on multiple roles. Um, Unfortunately, this year we lost the actress who played the Borg Queen in the second season of Picard, but she had also played... um, the love interest that Jadzia Dax, uh, the famous lesbian Kiss. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I got to do a video about that and it was, you know, sort of, it was nice to talk about somebody who didn't really have, like, you know, this huge, grand role in Star Trek, but who definitely made an impact. Um, as for the other side of it, one of the things I, I ironically love talking about, and I sort of jump on any time that comes up is the Transformers franchise, um, especially with regards to sort of the the new movies the michael bay movies and stuff i did this huge video which you can find on the channel from you know maybe a half year ago that was sort of breaking down the transformers timeline Mm -hmm. and it's just so ripe for comedy that universe and and sort of the filmmaking decisions and sort of the the uh you know the the kind of like weird ideas that that really end up at play in, in those films. So I just, I find them endlessly creative as movies and it certainly makes me more creative to talk about them. So, you know, I always
0: I always enjoy a good Transformers video for the yucks. The problem that I've always had with the Michael Bay Transformers is that there's a lot of times I don't know who I'm looking at in regards oh, to yeah. the characters because one, they're, they're zoomed up so close to them that you can't really see. And I know that there are ones that are certainly distinct, that you know who they are, but in general, there's just, it's something about yeah. it. it. It's just, they're That's hard to problem. differentiate
1: i often make the joke that it took them uh six films to figure out what a transformer looks like because sort of at the start of bumblebee they they now resemble what they should have looked like you know in the g1 sort of era um but yeah no you're you're right it's 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 the visual mess of it all it's the sort of way that bay just like throws everything out all at once to the point where it's like a, a visual auditory explosion that's just overwhelming Um, It's akin to having like an autistic meltdown. It's just like too much all the time, stop. Um, And it's just the the audacious way he loves to uh, completely contradict the continuity of not only the last film, but even the last scene. He does. I find that, I always find that, you know, just endlessly fascinating. And I may be a bit of a masochist and just routinely uh, subjecting myself to those films over and over again so I can edit videos out of them.
0: I think that's what we want is, we want the the G1 look. And I'm glad that we finally got that with Bumblebee. And uh, because I'm a big fan of Transformers the movie, that's one Mm -hmm. of those movies that I could watch pretty much any day. And it's just, it doesn't get old. Yeah. Um, and uh, the Star Trek connection there is Leonard Nimoy played the mm-hmm. voice of Galvatron in Transformers, the movie. Uh, which I think that it would have been nice if they had... There had- is- Oh, so I was going to say, there's a further Leonard Nimoy connection
1: to the to the Transformers universe. Yep. You're right. right he did play Galvatron in the 80s movie. And, and there's some talk about how he may have finished a few of Orson Welles' lines, because Orson Welles was either sick or just not interested in returning to the recording studio. Um, but he was also in Transformers... Three. Was it, the Dark of, was the, moon. Dark of the Moon. It takes me a minute yeah. to remember these really stupid subtitles Yeah, um, where he play. I like to joke that, you know, it's it's storied actor Leonard Nimoy playing a fire truck. Um, <laughs> yeah, Sentinel but, Prime. Yeah, but that's because I believe he is actually, um, his sister is married to Michael Bay. From my understanding, Michael Bay is married to Leonard Nimoy's sister and Michael Bay and Leonard Nimoy are actually were, well,
0: were brother-in-laws. I knew I knew there was a connection, and I'm 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 sure you're right. I'd have to look it up, but I thought there was a cousin involved in there somewhere. Like it was, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was something involving his sister.
1: But yeah, it's it's it is like he has this sort of weird intermingling with the Transformers universe. Nimoy
0: did, and he was such a wonderful actor too. Yes, yes, he was. Now, uh, when it comes to when it comes to Star Trek. And this is how I came across you and how we met. Saw a post that you had in regards to this animated film you're doing called Star Trek Tigress. And yes. I think that that's something that is very unique because we've just, we haven't gotten a whole lot of animated Trek until over the last five years or so. Sure, we had the animated series, but now we have Lower Decks and had Prodigy, uh, which Prodigy's returning. <laughs> Now, when you get into fan films, I think that that's certainly new. If I'm not mis- mistaken, at least from, from what I've seen, that this is the first animated Star Trek fan film that, that would be done that you're doing.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's certainly, it's an evolving project. Um, basically, if you want me to sort of explain a little bit about what it is, um, we're looking at it more of like a series at this point too, but we are starting with just sort of like a, a pilot or an initial project, um, And it basically came about because my partner and I started writing these Star Trek scripts uh, for NaNoWriMo last year, which is the national novel writing month, which is, you know, she's a big writer and it's something she tries to do every year. And this year or last year, I should say, uh, we had decided, you know, well, let's, you know, commit to a Star Trek series and kind of come up with what our ideal Star Trek crew and cast would be um and sort of you know what kind of adventures we would want to see them have which i'm sure you know every star trek fan has done at some point or another um but yeah we're we're currently casting we have a about 90 percent of the uh cast uh selected which is some wonderfully talented voice actors we're working with some people uh, with connections to to you know major Hollywood productions some people that uh you know are just really enthusiastic and 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 uh in love with both the project and the characters they're going to play um to kind of you know talk a bit about what it is it's called Star Trek Tigris. it follows the ship uh the USS Tigress um in the late 25th or sorry early 25th century sort of the late period of the first decade so between uh, 2406 and 2410 um and it's uh about um a captain who is a woman in her 50s who is a trill and sort of one of the things we wanted to to really look at was trill society and sort of some of the problems that we were seeing brought up in ds9 that could lead to things like you know this weird nepotism and classism amongst symbiotes and people with symbiotes and and non-joined trills um and our main character is named Sosa Trix uh Trix is the symbiote she has inside of her and it's a little bit of a different flip on the traditional where you would have a symbiote who's lived multiple lifetimes in a young person a la Jadzia Dax this flips it on its head where Sosra is a 50 year old woman um who is a mother of three and she you know our kids are out of the house um she's a divorcee so you know that part of her life has ended and she's found herself at sort of this new period in her life and in the canon we sort of try to establish um trills that are trill symbiotes that join in their first lifetime uh they join with older hosts that way they have more of an established life they have somebody that's more of uh able to their sort of guide them through their first life someone who has you know has that maturity um, and Sosra joins with the Triac symbiote, which is a very young symbiote. So now she has this feeling of even though she's an experienced officer, even though she has, you know, a long career in Starfleet, everything feels new to her. It feels like she's young again. It feels like she's experiencing going to warp for the first time or, you know, getting into these situations. And it's also a process of her sort of rediscovering herself. Um, and that's you know that's something that translates to to the supporting cast and the supporting characters as well uh because one of the themes we really want to focus on was the idea that uh you have these people who are part of what has traditionally been a monoculture in starfleet you know klingons ferengi um vulcans uh but they don't fit into that monoculture they're different they <clears throat> excuse me they have uh something about them either their history their personality that sort of you know makes them clash against what uh people view as sort of the traditional role for their culture
0: what made so you decide on using a trill as your main character and i'm sure you could, you could ask this question on any race that you might have picked as the captain but mm-hmm. tell me what your thought was on using a trill
1: yeah, um, well, it basically came from watching DS9. My partner, Tamara, um, who has written a lot of these scripts and is just a wonderfully, wonderfully talented writer. Um, she basically wasn't really a big Star Trek fan until she met me and then I got her into it and uh, we've been going through every, all the series and everything. So she's been but indoctrinated. Once we basically, yeah, but once we basically hit DS9, which is where you know she really fell in love with the writing of the series, Um, it was all the Dax stuff that just kept bringing up all these questions where she was like, okay, now we're finding out that not only has Dax's previous host Curzon been on the Trill Symbiote Council, her first host was literally the head of the symbiosis commission that sort of you know doesn't that raise questions about sort of the nepotism that can be inherent in passing these symbiotes down the line um and then there's the whole can of worms in the episode where you discover that like 50 percent of the population is actually secretly compatible and how that could cause all sorts of issues so it basically came as the idea of our captain and our villain um so our captain of course is Sosra who is a uh, an older woman with a younger symbiote in it and our villain is this character named Ren and Ren is a symbiote who has lived for multiple lifetimes and sort of experienced the trauma and sort of the iron will of the symbiosis Commission in terms of controlling his life that it's made him become widely militant about sort of a symbiote first mentality And this has made Ren into a being that more so hijacks hosts rather than actually blending properly with the hosts sort of a callback to when the trill first showed up in TNG um as well as like the gould from SG1 right um you know it, but it's so that he's a character that sort of burns through these hosts and doesn't see these hosts as having any value where Sosra and Trix, they have such a strong bond together and they become such a united and joined pair um that it sort of serves as a foil they serve as a foil to each other so basically uh, we wanted to get into having a trill captain because we wanted to explore these questions about trill society um sosra as well as a character who is someone who could have benefited from nepotism because her mother was a very important figure and her mother was a joint trill with a very important lead jo- or a very important symbiote um but she wanted to push all that away and just kind of earn stuff on her own merits. And you know, we wanted to sort of explore those themes of like how this society could breed something that is is sort of corrupt, but corrupt in the sense that it's, you know, Something that everybody just kind of takes for granted because it's the way it's always been. And you need this catalyst of Wren showing up to sort of throw a wrench into it. And that makes Sosra start to sort of question these things about her society and, you know, how she got this position because that's another thing is at the start of the series she's a first officer or at the start of the episode rather she's a first officer and then she gets this very sudden promotion to being a captain only you know after basically just healing from being joined so she's being thrown into a new position she's being thrown into a new crew that she doesn't really know with a new first officer that she's just meeting in Senec, who is another very interesting character that we've had a lot of you know attention towards um, and she's having to deal with all this. She's having to deal with all these problems while going on a new mission in a ship that she's unfamiliar with and sort of both having to figure herself out and figure her surroundings out at the same time.
0: If I recall correctly, I know there's one new race in there where there are there two new races that are that are in this fan film. I know one one guy's like have, a tree.
1: Yeah, we have one primarily new race um called the VEC. Yep. Uh, with its main character, or with the uh, the main character Volick. Um and Volik, yeah, they are uh, a plant people, which is something that's been lightly alluded to in Star Trek before, with small fan conversations about certain people in in DS Nine. I think there was talk about a crew member budding at one point in DS Nine. <laughs> uh, but we really wanted to, you know, have a one. We're doing a fan film, so why not put your own new race, put your own new stamp in the Star Trek universe? I mean, what are we doing here? We gotta, you know, you gotta you gotta inject some of your own self into it um it gets old doing vulcans and
0: andorians all the time things like that
1: yeah yeah it's we wanted to do different things things we hadn't seen before Mm -hmm. in sort of traditional star trek and volick is uh yes is a plant person they're from a planet they're non-binary um and they are from a planet that uh initially was basically this big living world with this intertwined root system, sort of like Pandora from the Avatar Uh, universe. Just thinking that. uh, But like, there's no animal life on it. It's all just plants and pollinators. And the planet lived as sort of this big hive mind. And then for whatever reason, they started to send out individual is individuals um beings that were once rooted trees were grown down into sort of human shaped beings that were then sent out to explore the universe volick was one of them volick joined starfleet and became the security officer for the Tigris. and one of the things about the Tigris is it also is sort of a bit of a ship of misfits it's sort of a bit of a ship where starfleet has put people that they're not really quite sure about like you know there's nothing in their records that says they're bad but maybe there's something that's different about them in Volek's case the Federation is still very wary of hive minds because of the Borg and and to a lesser degree the the founders um that you know the idea of having a being that was part of a hive mind and you know potentially could go back and take all they've learned to that hive mind um they both want to keep a close eye on them but they don't want to like you know piss them off and they don't want and they don't want to offend what could be a potential ally um the vec planet is in the gamma quadrant as well too which is another you know reason that starfleet is very keen to uh keep volick on their good side because you know post dominion war into the 25th century and this was even established in lower decks and a bit of picard the federation is still still trying to get its foot into the Gamma Quadrant in sort of a more stable way, uh, which is something that we we want to explore as well as sort of the stories roll on. The you're going to see a lot of uh, the Tigris taking missions in the Gamma Quadrant. Mm-hmm. So you know, and we're gonna we have some new races and ideas uh, for Gamma Quadrant species that you haven't seen before that are very exciting and interesting. But I don't want to you know that's all future plans. I'm still trying to focus on the today at right. all yeah but that's that's Volik. Uh, Volik as a character is very strong is very confident but also um they are definitely the one who is sort of the traditional i'm learning about everything as i go i'm learning about these different societies so you know they're kind of the person that um you can bounce all that traditional exposition dialogue off of you know why is Why, why, why are they like this? Why is this race like that kind of thing? And, and Volek can ask questions because again, they're coming from a very different place than your, you know, more traditional individual, uh, humanoids, meet people essentially. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) What made you decide that you wanted to do an animated film as opposed to getting live action?
1: Well, we, uh, it's, it's a number of things. Uh, one of the big things is money, of course, like the idea, uh, I'm doing this all sort of on the goodwill of fans and on my own reputation right now until I can, you know, build a bit of a budget for it. Um, I initially started out, we initially started out with the idea of an audio drama just a sort of straightforward audio drama which is when i began talking to different voice actors and casting different voice actors and hearing their work and reading back our lines and kind of falling in love with their interpretations of the characters and then uh we ran into the problem where we wrote the series initially as something much more visual we wrote it as kind of just a pie in the sky if this was our great star trek series this is how we would want to do it kind of thing so there are visual elements and i'm also a very visual person too you know i have degrees in video production and digital photography um and you know i work in editing and, and animation and light animation myself so i had the idea you know let's kind of like half and half it basically where we do uh voice actors and sort of like record their lines but then i get some animation done um some sort of motion comics and background work done which is all stuff i'm currently trying to source of course and and figure out sort of budgeting on that Mm -hmm. um but yeah it was just mainly born from the idea that we we had all these really great visual moments in our head and we had all these great ideas for how, you know, we would represent this and that and we wrote a couple episodes too that are very based on things like color um you know uh the second episode we wrote is about a star that is pink and it's very important to the plot that the star is pink because it involves uh you know I don't want to spoil too much about it but it involves sort of um Uh, a chemical that's gotten into the star that's causing problems um so a lot of that was really really born from you know i don't want to go back and and sort of chop out all the stuff that i had in my head visually to try to fit it to an audio drama so that's why you know we kind of settled on well let's let's try to do something in animation even if it's just sort of a light kind of motion graphics animation i think i can bring a lot of
0: visual flair to it and would you be primarily doing the animation work uh or is that something that you're going to have a team doing so is, is animation it's, part of what you do
1: it's going to be uh collaborative basically the way i'm going to uh, or the way i'm planning on doing it and I'm, I'm working out with a couple other people right now to sort of figure out the production on it um is i'm going to have Uh, proper artists uh, do up backgrounds and then, you know, probably another artist do up character animations with different facial expressions, different sort of uh, um, poses and stances and then I know how to do the sort of keyframing and animation tracking in things like Premiere and After Effects and Illustrator. Um, So it's going to be sort of animated in that. If you've ever seen sort of a... um, like a visual novel it's going to be like that but a little bit more a little bit more motion and animation and hopefully the more we get going on it um and the more interested i or interest i'm able to raise in the project um the more talented people we can bring on board and you know try to try to always improve basically that's going to be the name of the game is i want every every step to be better than the last so that you know we end up with something that uh that we're all really proud of and i'm i think we're already
0: well on our way especially with the cast we were putting together is there any involvement that screen rant has in this or is this completely a side project for you oh this is this
1: is very much a side project for myself currently um screen rant is very much my day job uh you know the the they are wonderful in providing me lots of opportunity to talk about all sorts of pop culture minutiae uh but this is sort of my uh sanity project a bit this is what i'm doing on the side in order to uh you know have something different to work on have something that isn't sort of just the same grind every day um this is also something that uh, i just have a lot of passion about because i've read these stories um that tamara has written and they are Quite honestly, and I know I'm a little biased, but they are some of the best Star Trek stories I have ever read. Um, I'm quite proud, especially of the third episode, which she wrote uh, all herself called Culture Clash, which uh, focuses on the sort of theme of the new changes to culture clashing with the old, you know, sort of dogma. And that revolves around our main character, Senek um who is a Vulcan who was raised by two Beta Z mothers because his biological parents died in the Dominion invasion of Beta Z the they were stationed there there were scientists who were stationed there and they had a relationship with two uh two Beta Z women and then they were killed in the Dominion invasion which is something that's talked about lightly in the later stages of DS9 and scenic was raised on beta Z, and as a result he did not follow the way of logic he certainly tried to and they certainly tried to but it just didn't work for him and because he had you know this support network and especially on a planet with a lot of very strong telepaths um he was able to sort of overcome his emotions and integrate them into his self um and as a result he is he is an emotional vulcan he's something more akin to like cyborg uh and that causes no end of conflict with traditional Vulcans. and that's what culture clash ends up being about is this young vulcan ensign who feels like he can't work under a first officer who is an emotional vulcan and they have to you know they have to both butt heads and then figure out why that problem exists and how they can move forward and solve that problem um and that's you know and that's a lot of who Seneca is as a character and and a lot of uh you know the kind of the, the sort of you know conflict that
0: will be thrown at him over the course of the story i think it's nice that you took a one liner from ds9 about the fall of beta Z and used that as your foundation for a character mm-hmm. i think that that's i wish ds9 would have mm, I was about to say, I wish they would have done a little more with that, but I think that that was just the whole point was the shock value of "Oh my God!" One of the main Federation worlds has fallen to the Dominion, yeah.
1: uh, and it's like a bait and switch too in that episode too, because you think the Dominion is going to attack. Uh, I don't even remember at this point, but like another planet, and then at the end it ends up being Beta Z, and uh, it's always something that intrigued me because I always thought about this you know sort of idyllic idyllic beautiful planet that's suddenly just invaded by Jem Hadar and and the and we actually have an idea for like a flashback episode that kind of covers that and um but yeah no that's that's always I always thought that that would have been if if you were going to have an emotional Vulcan um and you were going to have an emotional Vulcan who was in Starfleet and who was able to rise to the rank of first officer, that would probably be like one of the best backstories for him. And especially like what kind of race would be best equipped to help a young, emotional Vulcan. And I think Beta Zeds would be tremendously equipped. And side note, because of that and because of something that is very much established in Star Trek V, which is that emotional Vulcans tend to have much stronger psychic powers. Uh, Senec actually does have a more developed telepathic power than your average Vulcan.
0: Well, that's gonna make for, uh, for some interesting storytelling. I've, mm-hmm. I need to remind myself, I need to send you, uh, there's actually this like audio drama that I did that was based on the Fall of Beta Z. Uh, so I've got to I've got to send you that, that audio oh, file so what, that. You, what you think? Of that yeah, it was uh, this was a while back. It was something that I I wrote, had a couple people do the voices of, edited together, and uh, it was the same thing. It was just this uh, short thing based off of that one line in the episode. So yeah. pulled something from there. <clears throat> do you do you think that it's easier or? What's easier to do, writing a character that is already from an established species like the Vulcans or the Trill or one that's new, like the, uh, uh, I'll call him the plant guy?
1: The Vec, yeah. The Vec, yeah. Uh, yeah, um, it's it's interesting because when you're writing sort of an established race or an established character, there's there's a lot of, you know going back through what has already been sort of canon established. And a lot of times that's just like the weirdest offhand dialogue. Uh, One of the biggest problems we ran into was we have a main character, Named um, Baxor Laz, uh, Baxor Laszlo, who is a, it was a Bolian man. He's the chief engineer. And going back through and trying to figure out what is canon about Bolians has been one of the hardest things possible. Yeah, because you go back and you're like, okay, so what what has been talked about on Bol- as as far as like what Bolians are and sort of what their culture is? Well, you know, everybody says that they're always you know the happiest race or or the most easygoing race, but really is that just because of Mot? you know um <laughs> other bullions don't necessarily follow that
0: line well the one but, that was on voyager that was part of the maquis he seems pretty yeah jovial.
1: yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah so like as far as like that so okay that's just a little light canon. the biggest thing we can find is both about their food and their polyamory uh their food is you know fermented and and they have calcified tongues or like encased tongues so you know their food is quite pungent and strong and and we have endless comedy about that and the other thing is their polyamory which is a big thing that we've included with Baxor uh because they mentioned several times in the series or at least a couple of times in the series that the take multiple wives multiple husbands so Baxor uh is a sort of traditional family man character um who has both a husband and a wife and seven kids so very um, much like but, the
0: Denobulans
1: Yeah like the Denobulans exactly um And yeah, so that was something we wanted to sort of explore was, you know, a traditional family unit in a polyamorous relationship. Um, But yeah, writing Bolians has been, I think, one of the hardest things because just trying to figure out like, as far as like, what is canon about them for a race that has appeared quite a bit throughout Star Trek, uh, there's very little established about them in terms of their history, even what their planet looks like. they have some cliffs that we know about because there's a joke about director Cliff Bull, you know, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Um, yeah. so I mean, that's been hard. Writing stuff about, you know, new species, the VEC, you can just kind of go wild on that. You can come up with your concept. You can think about it. Um, And we try not to tease out too much, you know, about Volek's origin. Uh, but then you kind of just end up doing that because you're like, well, I don't want to address that right now. I don't want to I don't want to talk about that. And then you then you get to, you know, episode eight or whatever that you've written. And you're like, OK, I guess now I I finally have to talk about, you know, this original race and, and sort of uh, what they're like. But it also is good uh, to have in your back pocket as you know, because you can you can create sort of surprises out of nowhere. Uh, you know, Volek can suddenly pull this ability out of their butt if they need to, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I think as far as like trying to, to write canon alien races, the hardest part are, is the ones where there's just enough information to be dangerous, um, but not enough to really give you a good direction on where you should go all the time. So
0: you kind of have to, you know, fill in the blanks. I'm imagining Volek uh, either as like, looking like Swamp Thing or the tree guys from Lord of the Rings or Groot. Do you you have that picture in your head as to what the VEC look like?
1: yeah um well one of the cool things about the vec and one of the things that we've sort of uh talked about back and forth tamara and i is what kind of vec you look like is very much based on what kind of plant you were or what kind of a being you were when you were on the planet vec um you later meet a character who was uh part of volick's ecosystem when Volik was initially this big tree uh the character was the collection of fungus that uh, provided nutrients to Volek's root system. And then they both basically morphed into humanoid beings. And of course the, uh, the, the, the being that's based off of, you know, the, the fungus is much less strong, uh, much less durable, uh, but much harder to like poison and that kind of thing. Whereas Volek, um, has, uh, I would liken Volek more to less like Groot and more to like, um, uh, if you've ever seen uh, Eccleston's run as Doctor Who, I think in the second episode, there are some tree people in that. And that's sort of how I picture Volick. But uh, overall, Volek's going to be more human looking than plant looking. Uh, again, I'm going to be trying to work with some, some artists to you know figure out where we're going to go with that. Uh, one of the features that Voloch has that we describe in several episodes that's going to be uh, visually pleasing is Voloch has like a crown of leaves that they can uh, expand behind their head. And they are very dependent on sunlight because they are photosynthesizing beings. So uh, when they're first introduced in the very first episode, the door opens to their quarters, and it's just a, a blinding light because their entire quarters is basically set up like it's the surface of the sun. <laughs> and you know, Vola can run into trouble if they're in darkness for too long, and that's why they sort of need the leaves to to absorb
0: uh, to absorb light as a as a source of nourishment. How many episodes do you have this planned out as? Because it sounds like it is going to be a multi-part series.
1: Yeah. Uh, like I said, right now we're focusing on, uh, well, it's sort of step. Right now I'm focusing on getting the pilot done and, and sort of figuring out the process and, and is sort of getting the workflow done. And then once that workflow is established and once, you know, I have my my actors going and I've got my assets and, and uh, you know, my basically my my ability to make it, then I'm gonna focus on an initial 10 episode batch, including that first run. Um, and then hopefully if we can get a full season out of this, which I would love to, um, that's gonna be about 20 episodes or so. Uh, but that's all like, you know, that's my dream essentially. My ultimate dream would be to make this into like a full seven season, huge series, but I don't know, um, you know, that's all. that's all just, hopes and wishes right now right now i'm focusing on the initial pilot which is going to revolve around sosra becoming captain of the uss tigris um getting integrated in her crew and then having to deal with this rogue trill uh terrorist who is threatening a peace between two warring peoples um and you know that's the first episode is going to very much deal with uh the uh secrets that trill society holds about it's you know compatibility um one of the things that ren has is ren has a a league of people who are disenfranchised former trill um initiates uh people that tried to get symbiotes and then were cut for whatever reason uh these people don't just go away and and they become angry they become disillusioned they start to internalize that failure too and think oh am i really not the one who is worthy am i not the one you know oh trills must be symbiotes must be so important that maybe i should devote everything including my life to doing whatever they say is important to do um and that's something i think ds9 established even before us in the episode where dax is training a young initiate and he's very much internalizing this absolutely brutal process of selection um and so yeah so the first episode is called clear skies and it's going to uh, essentially focus on that aspect of trill society as well as our main character sosra and sort of her adjusting into this new role in her life
0: you said that the the series takes place in the Gamma Quadrant. Is that some of it or all of it? And uh, also a follow-up question to that is how do you do a series based in the Gamma Quadrant but not retread with the Dominion? Because you know that they're there, but you kind of... Is it one of those things where it's like, yeah, we know they're there, but we don't want to go there because that story with dominion involvement that that's kind of been told
1: yeah no absolutely i and i absolutely agree with that we're we're very dominion light in terms of uh what we talk about and um you know that's that's very much for a very specific reason we don't want to just become ds9 fan fiction we don't want to become just sort of a retread of all these ds9 plot lines even though we are bringing in the trill Mm -hmm. and to a lesser extent the ferengi um so one of the ways we've gotten around that and and to answer your first question no it's not all set in the gamma quadrant in fact that's more of uh an aspect we're going to be bringing in a later initially it's set more in and around trill and uh this specific planet called klinos one where this uh this war is raging between the people on the surface and their moon colony um but one of the neat things that and we've and we've sort of tooled with this idea is what if there are species in the gamma quadrant uh, that were able to for whatever reason resist dominion um dominion control uh, one species in particular um called the uh the msatnor uh that it, Tamara's absolutely fallen in love with as a as a concept is a species that was so hardcore that even the Gemhadar were like, uh, maybe we shouldn't. Oh, um, really? But the, yeah, but nice. the thing about them is they're extremely isolated they don't like they basically had their bubble in the gamma quadrant they're sort of to use a game of thrones analogy they're sort of the Dorn of the gamma quadrant where essentially it was like you guys can just you know as long as we're in this steady stalemate we'll just kind of leave things as we are and now that the dominion is gone or as gone as it it was before you know definitely not as big of a presence there is this power vacuum and it, that involves uh other species sort of trying to vie for being on top species that were once, you know, under um and you know we've created a couple other species too here and there. Uh these are all sort of like plot lines that uh, I'm not even sure if we're going to get to in in season 1. Season 1 is mostly going to focus on um the main characters and sort of, you know, the the trials and and problems they have in their backstories and how that affects them and and uh you know, we we have our pie in the sky ideas. We even have ideas about bringing in a queue here or there. But, uh, you know, for the most part, I think the, uh, the Gamma Quadrant stuff is going to be, uh, I wouldn't say minimal, but I would say, like, not as wrapped up in the continuity of the Dominion War uh, as you would
0: think. It's more episodic. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Has there been anything that was very challenging almost challenging enough that made you ask okay i wasn't planning on this wasn't thinking about this and why have i gotten into doing this film because this is a this is a big buzzsaw have you walked into any of those yet
1: oh yeah um yeah absolutely i think the big thing that's always looming over my head is the 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 copyright uh, of it all you know of course that looms over every fan production's head and i don't want to you know turn it into something that's just gonna you know i don't want to try to make money off of something that someone's other someone else's ip this is definitely not about that this is about my passion in trying to bring this story so that other people can experience it too um but yeah just the the idea of, of copyright hanging over my head um and that anytime i could get that letter where i would have to retool something or or you know but until that happens all i can do is get caught trying and just try to you know make something that i want to make until someone tells me that i can't and then i'm going to say well too bad i'm going to make it anyway um but but cbs is going to send
0: the gestapo to get you if you do that yeah
1: but the biggest thing has just been like figuring it all out this is my first time trying to do a production like this i have a you know experience and sort of all the aspects of it you know I, i've done video editing for years i've done video production uh, i've you know done organization and sort of project management uh and this is just putting all of that together and you know that's of course always been a challenge fingering things out here and there uh, but so far everybody i've met have been so helpful and so open and the star trek community is so welcoming um just the you know the people i've met that have had connections to other people that have had connections to other people you were you know so wonderful to let me come on this podcast and just ramble about my fan series absolutely Um, you know and i think that just that sort of welcomingness of this idea. Um, has been the biggest motivator and it's been the biggest thing that's, that's kept me and Tamara going is just, you know, putting ourselves out there and putting out this, this, this story that we have a passion for and then seeing the
0: response to it be fairly positive has just been really heartening. When I first got into doing the fan film stuff, there was, uh, it was something that I just, it hadn't occurred to me to really get into covering. Until I was approached by a, a person named Samuel Cockings, who's a, a big VFX artist in the fan film community. He sent an email to our email account uh, and talked about doing something like some kind of uh, interview on the podcast. And of course, I was like, sure, you know, because it's, it's not often that someone will ask to be on, to be on the podcast. And uh, to me, I think that's a good thing when you meet people that are like, yeah, I, I would like to be on if you have uh, if you're looking for someone to talk to. And as I as I talked with him and then started going through some of the fan film communities, I, uh, I wanted to find people that I could just talk to and get to know. And I noticed that on my Facebook, it was kind of lean on Star Trek fans, at least in my opinion, you know how it is. It's everyone you went to high school with and, and past co-workers. Uh, so I wanted to expand that and get to meet and network with more people that were uh, in and around and involved with Star Trek. And I just kind of went into this rabbit hole of the fan film community and thought, let me, I'm going to talk to, talk to a couple people here and before you know it, it's I started talking to them more, getting to uh, to know these individuals, and it really seemed like this is the way to go because I haven't seen any other podcast that does coverage on on fan films like mm-hmm. I've been doing, and it seemed like okay, well this is a this is an untapped uh, uh th- a thing here that I think more people should know about and for me it was it was kind of like a no-brainer that yeah i definitely want to to be in this more and there have been some great people that uh that i've met there and i'm sure you have as well uh, and it's it's been a good time in the community and getting into these things more uh there's in the near to mid future there's going to be a the fan film that i'm going to be in uh, not, not yet a, a huge part, but I've created a character that I'm going to be. Uh, like any time you see me, I'm going to be that character, which is also one of those things that because uh, I've I've talked about and said I I think you only have one good chance to have a character that you play in a film to establish that this is who that person is in in everything they do, mm-hmm. uh, and so I spend a lot of time thinking about. And, uh, and setting up. Okay, well, who would I? Who would I do? Who's someone that has is not is a new character and that's not uh, directly part of the Star Trek fran- franchise? Because then you have you have some more room to work with mm-hmm. and more to to create and to do something with. Yeah. And so when I when I saw your okay. post, it was. I, I said this is great because animated fan film is not something that is very common yet uh, and it it you may be the only one who does it or whoever does it so that's going to be something that will definitely set you apart from the others there are some great fan productions out there for sure and I think an animated one is definitely going to right. to catch some interest there for sure
1: productions have always given me inspiration right back to the days of uh you know sandy cholera and and batman dead end or or star trek continues you know i used to watch that like crazy every time it came out with a new episode and you were getting to k on that show and star trek renegades came out directed by tim russ and like that's you know i just it's long storied history of these these fan productions that are just both So well done and so, you know, interesting and inventive and creative. And the thing you were talking about with new characters is a lot of why we wanted to, you know, do something like this, and why I think that there's already been, even with like, you know, the sort of ephemeral state of it, uh, there's already been like a huge response to to what I've talked about with Star Trek Tigris because it's full of things that are people are hungry for. Um, we have a cast member who is a or a character who is a female Ferengi pilot uh, who sort of is exploring the the continued. Threads of, of female Ferengi emancipation. Um, we have a sort of Zen Klingon character who is uh, dishonored or discommendated, but uh, because her father actually was a traitor, you know, as opposed to Worf, who sort of had. And and she also explores something that it was only lightly hinted at in DS9, which is how actual discommendated Klingons would have had to live or had to live on Kronos, which is essentially as, as vagrants and, uh, castaways. Um, you know, we have, uh, a, a communication officer who is an autistic woman who, Um, You know, autism and sort of those neurodivergencies is something we've never really seen properly portrayed in Star Trek or at least even discussed about like what, you know, somebody with a neurodivergency, uh, what their place is in Federation society. And, you know, we we talk about how it's basically accommodations are so built into everything. They're ubiquitous now and things that, you know, people don't have today are just granted in the star trek universe and that's part of what makes it a utopian part of what makes everybody able to sort of rise to their best because they don't have those same challenges that we have today um and yeah we have uh, a native american female doctor because native american portrayals in star trek have never been the greatest and we want to sort of rectify that we have a wonderful native american actress who's going to be playing her Um, So, like, this has all been very important to us and sort of the idea of of new characters, new ideas, new things that break the mold of, you know, what we've already seen before. We don't want to just do another story about Kirk and Spock because as much as, like, I'm enjoying Strange New Worlds and as much as I'm enjoying the new Trek, it is all still very much tied to, you know, the canon and characters of old. There's, There's not really a new... TNG or there's not really a new DS nine where it's just, here's a whole new cast with whole new stories ready to go. Nobody is anybody's son, you
0: know? <laughs> right. No one's anyone's son or someone's brother that was never mentioned or anything like that. And yeah, what I wanted to tell you is that with your character, that's going to be the doctor, the native American. If you have any consultant on native American character, Please make sure that that person is Native American oh, yeah. before you have them. <laughs> I'm not doing... chakotay this, okay. do <laughs> Yeah, it's, I can't remember the guy's name, but that just like whole that is one of the most insane (laughs) stories in star trek and i constantly bring
1: that up yes and like what's more insane was that that guy was actually already outed by like a news program before he was even hired to voyager but yeah (laughs) those is we're not doing that we're not doing like uh, i think one of the questions that was asked when we talked about uh her name is amber amber galahai uh dr amber galahai when we talked about her one of the questions from uh I forget who, but was basically, oh, is she is she from Earth or is she from that planet that was established in TNG and the Cardassian? And I was like, I am not touching that. That can stay over here. She's from Earth.
0: <laughs> when you have to watch that because if if you do something to break or stretch canon, you're going to hear about it. Oh yeah, you're you're going to hear about it. And if there's something you missed about bullying culture or anything like that, you're thinking, okay, there's, we think we've got it, there's just really not been anything. You'll find out, Mm -hmm. you'll you'll find out real soon. (laughs) I I deal with YouTube
1: comments on a daily basis. Trust me, anytime I make any sort of factual error, I hear about it immediately 20 different times. So I'm, (laughs) I'm very prepared.
0: Do you have any kind of projected release date on any of this? Um, I am hoping that we are going to start having sort of
1: initially stuff to show like scenes, um, I'm recording with the with the voice actors actually in the next couple of weeks. We're going to be starting to record some scenes. Um, I am still casting, of course, for a few major characters, so I'm trying to get all of those ducks in a row. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm hoping that within the next like six months, uh, at the latest, you're going to see something, if not mostly completed, at least
0: sort of in a in an advertisable state. Okay. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to that, and as we get more of this news out there about that, I'm sure you're going to be building some good hype for it Mm -hmm. because this is something to get excited for. I, I really think it is. And I certainly hope that the whole thing just comes together for you. And as we wrap up here, just want to ask you, could you tell our audience where they can find your social media information, just your websites, your whatever it is that you wanna talk about. Nope,
1: no problem, absolutely. I mean, I'm putting together, uh, I have a Facebook page right now, Star Trek Tigress Fan Production, uh, so you can go there. There's not a whole lot there yet, but uh, as I you know go, I'm gonna be adding more updates, information, pictures. Uh, there's some light concept art there right now. Um I am uh, also available at uh, on YouTube at that's a space station. Uh that's my primary personal YouTube channel where I update with video essays, reviews, um you know random thoughts I have about movies and stuff and of course you can always find me uh both on screenrant.com as well as the Screenrant YouTube channel. I like that. This is a space station. <laughs> that's a space station. That's no and Actually, it that's started a out as a, as a misquote of um, it's a space station from Star Wars, but yeah. uh, it's sort of just stuck. And yeah, it's that's a space <laughs> station
0: uh, on YouTube. <laughs> Chris, thank you very much for taking out the time to sit and talk with me about this. I really appreciate it. And I'm glad that we had the opportunity to do this recording do this interview so that we could learn more about this project so i really appreciate it and for those of you that are listening or watching thank you for sitting in on beyond Trek podcast i want to remind you to go boldly boldly where none have gone before i always mess up the word boldly for some reason We are Beyond Trek Podcast. Lower your inhibitions and surrender your years. We will add inspirational and hilarious Trek content to your day. Your attention will adapt to subscribe to us. Resistance is futile. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can support us at patreon.com Beyond Trek.